Well, greetings in Jesus' name to everyone that's gathered here this morning, and welcome to the service. It's been a blessing to be here this morning and already, and be challenged in the scriptures and the opportunity to sing praise to God and renew our commitment to Him. This morning is the day we recognize as Mother's Day. And I hope all of you mothers heard a word of blessing this morning. Happy Mother's Day. And I'd like to speak about uh, mothers this morning. I have four examples from Scripture Four mothers that are spoken of in Scripture, and I'd like to just reflect on some of those things, the example they left. And my, my heart would be to just give a blessing to mothers and their many labors. It's probably somewhat uh, underappreciated, maybe I would say, although we at least give some recognition to it, maybe once a year. Uh, Maybe we should do a little bit more than we are often want to do, but it's appropriate because in God's sight, uh, the role and work of a mother is very important. And there is much reward and blessing for mothers who are faithful. And that will be one of the key points in the, in the message this morning is uh, the blessing of women of faith. Women who put their trust in God. Now, this goes beyond just the uh, responsibility of rearing children. Uh, It has to do with their own personal faith in God. And I'd actually like to begin by reading that uh, passage in Proverbs 31, which talks about a virtuous woman. So if you want to turn there and follow... Proverbs 31, verse 10 and following says, Who can find a virtuous woman? For her price is far above rubies. The heart of her husband doth safely trust in her, so that he shall have no need of spoil. She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. She seeketh wool and flax and worketh willingly with her hands. She is like the merchant's ships which... I'm sorry, she is like the merchant's ships, she bringeth her food from afar. She riseth also while it is yet night, and giveth meat to her household, and a portion to her maidens. 
She considereth a field, and buyeth it. With the fruit of her hands she planteth a vineyard. She girdeth her loins with strength, and strengtheneth her arms. She perceiveth that her merchandise is good, her candle goeth not out by night. She layeth her hands to the spindle, and her hands hold the distaff. She stretcheth out her hands to the poor, yea, she reacheth forth her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed with scarlet. She maketh herself coverings of tapestry, her clothing is silk and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sitteth among the elders of the land. She maketh fine linen and selleth it and delivereth girdles unto the merchants. Strength and honor are her clothing and she shall rejoice in time to come. She openeth her mouth with wisdom, and in her tongue is the law of kindness. She looketh well to the ways of her household, and eateth not the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praiseth her. Many daughters have done virtuously, but thou excellest them all. Favor is deceitful, and beauty is vain. But a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands, and let her own works praise her in the gates. So here is a good description of the virtuous woman. And perhaps as you read through this list to you, uh, mothers out there, maybe this seems almost like an intimidating list. And in a sense, it is a never-ending job. And so our conclusion is that this is a way of life. It's not a once-and-done thing, but it actually is a way of life. These things can't possibly all be done in a day uh, or in a... In a week, these are things that are ongoing, they are a way of life, they are the fruit of the virtue. And in the conclusion there, he says that in verse 30, favor is deceitful and beauty is vain. And in context, I don't think he's necessarily saying that those are bad things. When he says favor is deceitful, it's not that favor is, is uh, out of place or that there's uh, something wrong necessarily if there's favor there, but that by itself is not sufficient. There is, uh, it's possible that the favor is deceitful. And beauty is vain. And that doesn't mean there's a lack of beauty. There is plenty of beauty, but that beauty by itself, again, will not carry the day. There has to be integrity and virtue that goes with it. A woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. Whether or not there is favor there, or whether or not there is beauty there, If she fears the Lord, that is what 
she should be praised for. And it says then, give her of the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. Now we'll see in the examples we look at today some of those very things um, as it's... uh, as the example is laid out in Scripture. So the first mother that I would like to refer to is Sarah. We'll actually start in the New Testament where she is spoken of as a woman of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 11. It begins by saying, through faith also Sarah herself. Now, in context here, it just was speaking of Abraham's faith and listed some of the things that Abraham did by faith. Now, when speaking of Sarah, it compares her to Abraham and says, through faith also Sarah. So she was partaker of the faith that Abraham had. She likewise had faith. Says Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Now if you recall the story, uh, how that in their old age God promised them a son. And... Abraham took matters in his own hand and had a son through Hagar, but that was not to be the child of promise. But God came to them and promised that Sarah would have a child. And to Sarah it seemed incredible. And we know that she even laughed as though this is almost an impossible thing. But God gave her a promise, and according to the scripture here, she believed it by faith. That even though she laughed, and it seemed like her faith may have been weak, but she had faith, and she believed God and received the promise, because she judged him faithful who had promised. And she had a child exactly as was promised. And she raised that child in the fear of the Lord. There aren't many details about what she taught Isaac. Um, You would read more perhaps about Isaac following in the faith of Abraham. But we know that there is a tremendous amount of, of influence and faith that is passed on by a mother who has faith.
Now let's uh, turn over to 1 Peter chapter 3, where Sarah again is mentioned and her example. In 1 Peter chapter 3, First Peter chapter three, verse uh, three. In context, it's speaking of wives, and it says, "Whose adorning let it not be that outward adorning of plaiting the hair and of wearing of gold or of putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart, in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit." which is in the sight of God of great price. For after this manner in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are as long as ye do well and are not afraid with any amazement. So here Sarah's faith is spoken of and her example, and it says that the adorning should not be that outward adorning, but the inward adorning which he calls the hidden man of the heart, the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit which is in the sight of God of great price. Now, That should make a deep impression upon us that what God values as of great price, so should we. So when God looks upon a woman, he is looking for a spirit, a meek and quiet spirit. And I thought it was interesting in this regard that Of Sarah, it was said that she was very beautiful of countenance. And if you are familiar with the story, that even got them into trouble when Pharaoh wanted to take her. But she was of outstanding beauty. And yet here in the New Testament, when it speaks about her faith, it speaks about the fact that she adorned herself in the inner person. It calls her, or it's speaking of, the holy women of old. And looks to Sarah's example. It says, calling him Lord, verse 6, whose daughters ye are. Whose daughters ye are. An example she left that can be followed down through the generations. And it's almost a figure of speech. It's found elsewhere in Scripture where it talks about sons of Abraham. And though there are literal descendants and sons of Abraham, it was sometimes used as a man who was of faith who was also a son of Abraham. So he says here, whose daughters ye are. Daughters in the faith, as long as ye do well. As long as ye follow these scriptures and the principles laid out, ye are considered daughters of Sarah. 
It says, and are not afraid with any amazement. And that seems a bit obscure in its phrasing there. And it would seem the best that I can make of it is that there is no fear of of dis, uh, disapproval. Certainly not from God if we if they continue in faith and do well, they will have God's approval. Okay, going to the next um, mother, I'd like to speak about Jochebed. She was the mother of Moses, of Aaron, and of Miriam. She's also referred to in Hebrews among the faithful. Uh, And there she's not named, but simply referred to as uh, the parent, one of the parents of Moses. It's found in Hebrews 11 verse 23. It says, By faith... Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. Now again, going back in the story, and let's just turn there to Exodus chapter 2. Exodus chapter 2, verse 1. There went a man of the house of Levi and took to wife a daughter of Levi. And the woman conceived and bare a son. And when she saw him that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months. And when she could no longer hide him, she took for him an ark of bulrushes and daubed it with slime and with pitch and put the child therein. And she laid it in the flags by the river's brink. We don't take time to read the rest of the story, but what followed was as his sister Miriam watched him, the daughter of Pharaoh came along. She saw the baby and saw that it was a beautiful child, and she ended up taking it in and adopting it. And through the sister who was watching said she would go find a, a uh, mother for this child. And, and actually, the, uh, it would seem like Moses' mother actually cared for him and nursed him for some time. And then he was called uh, the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Sort of an adoption there. <clears throat> I'm not sure how long it was that Moses was with his mother. But as we think about Jochebed, she was a woman of remarkable faith. It tells us there in Hebrews that as parents, they were not afraid of the king's commandment. 
Now the king's commandment was that all these boys that were born should be killed, be thrown in the river. Now I'm sure there were other mothers very distraught about that all, and and we can only speculate how that all was and what maybe some other mothers made efforts. We don't know. But here it says that um, how does it say? In Hebrews there it says that he was a goodly child. Okay, it's goodly is used in Exodus and in Hebrews it talks about a proper child and in Acts uh, I think it uses something about beautiful. So what was it? that they saw in Moses. And as I studied that and, and read some of the uh, definition of the terms and some of the commentators who felt that this phrase, that he was a proper child, a goodly child, um, has the connotation of being beautiful in God's sight. And if that's... Um, if that's what it actually is, is referring to, it's, it's quite evident that Jochebed and his father Amram were people of faith. His mother was one of faith, and she had confidence in the Lord. When it says they were not afraid of the king's commandment, they evidently were not moved with fear to the extent that they just gave up. But rather, they took some effort trusting in God and believing that in God's sight this child was favored. And I believe there was certainly the miraculous providence of God in, in sparing Moses' life. But when you think about the life of Moses, and it was said that he was meek above all men upon the face of the earth. We know that when he came to the age of his years, he chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Is it possible that that foundation was laid uh, when he was with his mother? I think perhaps we could assume that it was. A good foundation was laid because his mother is spoken of as a woman of faith. Okay, the third mother that I want to speak of is Ruth. And we'll turn to that book The book of Ruth, which is after the book of Judges. Now Ruth was not born among the people of God. She was from the nation of Moab. 
but she was, uh, would we say, adopted into the family of God or married into the family. But let's read here in the book of Ruth, verse 1, it says, And it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the name of his two sons, Malan and Chilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they came into the country of Moab and continued there. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons. And they took them wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. And they dwelt there about ten years. And Malan and Chilion died also, both of them. And the woman was left with her two sons, I'm sorry, and the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. In other words, they they passed away. And then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. So the famine had ended. And so she had come to a very sad place. Um, this uh, Naomi, her husband had died, her two sons had died, and now only her two daughters-in-law, which had borne no children, were now all that she had left. So her heritage was gone, and her hope and her... um, As we read later, it was evident that she had little hope for the future, uh, even for her old age, and who would care for her in her old age, because her, uh, her husband and her sons were gone. So she purposed to go back to her home country, leave her daughters-in-law there in the nation of Moab, and just go back and make the best of life, it seems. And so she was going to leave her daughters-in-law. But you know the story how in, in, we'll read in verse 16, where Ruth had made a choice and she purposed to go with her mother-in-law. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee, nor to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go. And where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Where thou diest will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. And so when she saw that Ruth's heart was steadfastly set to go with her, she left speaking unto her, it says, she stopped trying to persuade her to stay and went uh, and took Ruth with her. Now while we're focusing on Ruth, 
It's evident also that Naomi must have been a woman of faith because what would have persuaded Ruth that she is going to cast her lot with, as we know, the people of God here? She decided that Naomi's faith was the faith that she intended to embrace. And that is a remarkable testimony to Naomi's life, that Ruth was willing to follow the example of her mother-in-law and say, that's where I, I want to cast my lot with her. The alternative would have been to just stay in their home country and try to make something better. You know, maybe she'd find a husband eventually among her own people. But somehow she was persuaded to go with her mother-in-law. Thy people shall be my people and thy God my God. And so she wanted to go with her mother-in-law. So she went. And let's note in verse 19. So they too went until they came to Bethlehem. And it came to pass when they were come to Bethlehem that all the city was moved about them and they said, Is this Naomi? So they've been gone all these years. They come back and they recognize her. Oh, isn't this Naomi? The one who left all these years back, you know, and she's of our people? And she said unto them, Call me not Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. Why then call ye me Naomi, seeing the Lord hath testified against me, and the Almighty hath afflicted me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, with her, which returned out of the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of barley harvest. So they came back among her own home people, and it seems that she had a bit of a lament about how the Almighty had dealt with her. And it may seem rather negative here. She certainly was very distressed and, and sorrowful about how the Lord had dealt with her. But as we see later in this book, she had not lost her faith in God. So here we have her returning with next to nothing and her daughter-in-law with her. Well, now let's look further what happened in chapter 2. She went out to do some gleaning and happened to come to the uh, corner of the field that belonged to Boaz, which was, as she found out later, was a, a uh, relative of her husband. Remember, she's, uh, she's a widow. Uh, she's a widow lady, though still uh, fairly young. But she goes out to glean and... I'm not going to go over the whole story, but just note several things out of this account in 
In verse 11 and 12, I'd like to read this. Here Boaz is speaking with her at uh, what appears to be their first, um, first encounter, first conversation. And Boaz answered and said unto her, It hath fully been showed me all that thou hast done unto thy mother-in-law since the death of thine husband, and how thou hast left thy father and thy mother in the land of thy nativity, and art come unto a people which thou knewest not heretofore. The Lord recompense thy work, and a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings thou art come to trust. Now isn't that an amazing testimony? There was something about Ruth and her commitment to follow God. It was evidenced by the way that she had treated her mother-in-law. And he makes reference to it. He says, It hath fully been showed me all that thou hast done unto thy mother-in-law since the death of thine husband. How you've left your land, you've come here with her. And he said, The Lord recompense thy work, and a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel. There was something about her life testimony and the fact that she was a woman of faith. And Boaz saw that as remarkable. The kindness that she showed to her mother-in-law, the care that she gave her mother-in-law, this was actually spoken of. The town seemed to know it. Let's turn over to chapter 3. And what is in the intervening verses is how Boaz showed her kindness and gave her um, more of the gleanings. And then Naomi, her mother-in-law, recognizing that Boaz was their kinsman and that there should be a what they call the law of the kinsman. And it had to do with their inheritance and, and their family line family lineage. And so she gave her instructions to go to Boaz at night and lay down at the, the foot of his bed. But notice here in chapter 3 verse 10 then this conversation that appears to take place here at that meeting in the night. Verse 10, and he said, Blessed be thou of the Lord, my daughter, for thou hast showed more kindness in the latter end than at the beginning. Inasmuch as thou followest not young men, neither poor nor rich. And now, my daughter, fear not, I will do to thee all that thou requirest, for all the city of my people doth know that thou art a virtuous woman. Wasn't that amazing again? Her testimony throughout the whole city was that she was a virtuous woman. Now while we're focusing on mothers, 
Just note that at this point, she was not yet a mother because she, her husband had died and they were childless. But she was a virtuous woman. And it was evidenced by the love and the care that she gave to her mother-in-law. It was evidenced by her faithfulness. And note what Boaz says here. Inasmuch as thou followest not young men, neither poor nor or rich. I'm not exactly sure what all Boaz had in mind. Uh, because Boaz was rich, it tells us that. But he saw something in her that was not swayed by just the outward or something that would be following her own um, desires, but rather that she was honoring the Lord and doing what was virtuous and right. Um, And I draw that from this statement that Boaz made, Inasmuch as thou followest not young men, whether poor or rich, And all the city doth know that thou art a virtuous woman. And how that, it, it seems to me that somehow by her life and her practical willingness to serve and love her mother-in-law and care for her, go out and glean and support her and all that, and conducting herself in an honorable way that all the city could testify that she was a virtuous woman. It was just like that aroma that the impression you get from reading Proverbs 31 about a virtuous woman and her life characteristics. And this was true of Ruth. Well, the following part of the story was how that she did get married to Boaz And she became, um, let's look in chapter 4, verse 11. And all the people that were in the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. The Lord make the woman that is coming to thine house like Rachel and like Leah, which too did build the house of Israel, and do thou worthily in Ephrata and be famous in Bethlehem. And let thy house be like the house of Pharez, whom Tamar bare unto Judah of the seed which the Lord shall give thee of this young woman. Now these things they're speaking of is referring to their ancestors. And this was indeed the lineage that um, from which uh, Elimelech had come and she by marrying into the family, and then note over in verse 14, she had borne a son, and the women said unto Naomi, Blessed be the Lord which hath not left thee this day without a kinsman, that his name may be famous in Israel. And he shall be unto thee a restorer of thy life and a nourisher of thine old age, 
For thy daughter-in-law, which loveth thee, which is better to thee than seven sons, hath borne him. And Naomi took the child and laid it in her bosom and became nurse unto it. And the women, her neighbors, gave it a name, saying, There is a son born to Naomi. And they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now they actually, uh, you just note the importance that they placed upon lineage here because they referred to it as this son born to Naomi, which was actually the grandmother. Um, But Ruth had made Naomi's people her people, and her God, uh, and Naomi's God her God. And she followed and was called among the faithful. Just a really blessed example of a virtuous woman who conducted herself uh, in a very righteous way and, and was noted for her love and care for her mother-in-law. Isn't that amazing? Just a practical servant's heart there. And then the fourth one I would like to note is in the New Testament, and her name is Eunice. She is the mother of Timothy. And let's start in Acts chapter 16. In Acts 16, verse 1, Then came he, this is Paul, he came to Derbe and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timotheus, the son of a certain woman, which was a Jewess, and believed. But his father was a Greek, which was well reported of by the brethren that were at Lystra and Iconium. Him would Paul have to go forth with him and took and circumcised him because of the Jews which were in those quarters, for they knew all that his father was a Greek. And as they went through the cities, they delivered them the decrees for to keep that were ordained of the apostles and elders which were at Jerusalem. So here's our first introduction to Timothy. It refers to his mother. doesn't name her here. But it says she was a Jewess and believed, but his father was a Greek. Now, there were Greeks who believed, but it does not seem like Timothy's mother, I'm sorry, his father, was a believer. There seems no indication that he was, rather just a reference to him being a Greek. And you read only about the faith of his mother. And here it says that she believed. And 2 Timothy, uh, if you want to turn there, there's just a bit more detail given. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, uh, 
Here Paul is addressing Timothy in this letter and he says, When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. So it mentions his mother Eunice and his grandmother Lois and their unfeigned faith is spoken of. Now if we understand the time and the setting here, we have here Timothy, who was a young man at this point, a young adult, I believe, that uh, had been raised by his mother, a Jewess who believed. Now his grandmother, Lois, would have probably lived at a time perhaps prior to the time of Christ. Uh, Because here you have an adult woman who is in the time of the apostles, just uh, some years after Christ's life and death and then resurrection. She believed. She was a woman of faith. But when Paul is making mention of the grandmother Lois and speaking of the unfeigned faith, A few chapters later, he makes mention that uh, that from a child, thou, Timothy, hast known the Holy Scriptures. So Timothy was instructed from his youth in the Scriptures, which would have been the Old Testament, and that faith was with his mother and his grandmother. So they were women of faith who believed God, It specifically says about his mother, she believed. And they were able to pass that faith on to Timothy. There is a tremendous power of influence for a woman of faith to pass on that faith to her children. That is um, very clear from Scripture. There is instructions to mothers about, uh, and well, to fathers also, to bring them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. But note that in these examples, these four women, what the scripture really lifts up is their faith, their trust in God. And if we go back to what was said of Ruth there, and this was before she was even a mother, In chapter 2, Ruth chapter 2, verse 12, this was Boaz's uh, request or prayer. He was speaking to Ruth and he said, The Lord recompense thy work, and a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings thou art come to trust. 
So that would be my um, word of blessing, I guess, to all the mothers here this morning. Be women of faith. Be women who trust God. And may your virtuous life, your labors, all of your efforts on behalf of your children and on behalf uh, of the Lord, your work in the Lord, as you live a life of faith, may a full reward be given for your life as a virtuous woman. And I'll conclude with that.